Welcome to the Acts 29 U.S. South Central podcast. I'm Bob Thune, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'm glad to be your host for this podcast. What is Acts 29? Well, it's a global family of church planting churches, and the U.S. South Central network of Acts 29 focuses specifically on planting churches and strengthening churches in the states of Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Texas. What we do on this podcast is we take the best content we have on church planting and church leadership, and we make it available to you in order to equip and encourage you in gospel ministry. Some of our Acts 29 churches in Austin, Texas, recently hosted a conference called Formed by the Gospel. This was a conference focused on small groups and small group leadership and the philosophy of small groups within the church. And so for the next few episodes of the podcast, you'll be hearing some of the talks given at that conference in Austin, Texas in the fall of 2019. As I've taught lots of people about how to live life in intentional community, there is a text of scripture that I often teach out of. And so I want you guys to open up your Bibles to John chapter 17. We're going to spend a little bit of time in God's Word. Today is no different than every other time I've taught on uh, community. I want to root us in God's Word. So this session is on gospel-formed community, and really I'm going to work through two major questions in our time. The first question is this. What does gospel-formed community require? And the second, how does gospel-formed community form? What does it require for you as a leader, for you as a group participant? What does it actually require? What are some things that make gospel-formed community go? What's it going to take is another way of framing this question. And then number two, how does it actually form over the course of time? How does gospel-formed community take shape over the course of time in our lives? But let's start with God's Word to help us frame those questions. We're going to be in John 17, starting in verse 20. Now, this text of Scripture is a section of Scripture called the High Priestly Prayer. This is Jesus in a moment in time interceding and talking with the Father and asking for some very specific things. It actually also falls in the context of what is often known as the farewell discourse of Jesus that is from John 14 to John 17. And so we're zooming in on a small text of a bigger idea that's in the context of Jesus saying goodbye to his disciples and to this world. So let me show you why this text is so mission critical for gospel formed community. Starting in verse 20, Jesus begins I do not ask for these only. Now pause here for a moment, look up at me. Jesus, right here in this text, is referring to his disciples. He's just concluded a prayer that was intentionally prayed for those who were gathered at the table at that moment. And there's a very specific and impactful transition that's coming up. Look back at the text. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus is specifically praying for you and for me. Why? Because you're a person who has believed in the Word of God, the gospel of grace, the truths that will just unpack. You are a person that Jesus right here is actually praying for 2,000 years ago 
As Jesus was saying goodbye to his disciples, he was praying for you and me in this room. This is an amazing thing if you think about it. Jesus actually cares so deeply, not just about the relationships that he had in the moment, but he knew that he had to intentionally pray for you and I. And what did he pray? That they may all be one. That's a phenomenal prayer to pray. He was interceding 2,000 years ago for us in this room to all be one. Think about that. That's an incredible prayer, and it actually is a huge prayer. If you think about how difficult it is to maintain unity in a single community, more or less, you know, it's, it's extraordinarily difficult to do it in a church. And when you think about multiple churches gathered in one place, it's kind of a radical prayer for Jesus to pray. 2,000 years ago, he prays for unity, and he prays that it would be true for all of us who have believed in the word that was spoken. And then he gives us some texture in this prayer. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, I think this text is a callback to John 15, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But unity is expressed in actual communion. That's what is going on in this text right here, that they may be in us. Our unity in this room is through the Father and the Son and the unity that they have. And there is a clear purpose for that unity so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This text highlights our mission. The purpose of our unity and communion is actually to move us into a place where we demonstrate and declare the realities that Jesus came, that he died, and that he rose again, and he ascended to the Father, and he reigns as king, and that demonstrates a new kingdom reality, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then he continues, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love, loved me. This is a repeat in many ways of the concepts we just unpacked in the text, but it adds a little bit more texture to it. And as I think about this text, as I teach this text, as I love this text, as I dwell on this text, as I try to remember it in my everyday life, there's this consistent provoked question in me that I always, always ask. How do you get a community to look like that? How do you get a church to look like that? How do we actually pursue a community formed by the gospel that's unified like the unity that the Father has with the Son? How in the world... Can we actually pursue communion and community like that? And when I think about the question how, I am really struck that this text does provide a degree of counsel for us. In order to pursue a gospel-formed community, I think there are three things that are required, at least three things, I should say. It's not just three things, but they're the three things that I think the Spirit burdened for me to share with you today. I think there are three things that are required. Number one is intentionality. 
Number two is sacrifice. And number three is imperfection. That as we think about wanting to pursue this vision that Jesus has set out in this beautiful prayer for us to be one, it will require intentionality, sacrifice, and imperfection. And so I want to unpack each of those segments, then I'm going to give you a chance to respond. But number one, let's dive in. So in order to have a gospel-formed community, I do believe it requires intentionality. And when I think on John 17, I love that Jesus prayed like this. He doesn't just pray for the disciples. He prays for those who will believe in me through their word. So often when we think about gospel community, we skip forward to relationship. We skip forward to mission. But Jesus begins his prayer, I believe, very intentionally, who will believe in me through their word. This isn't a flippant word at a transition point in prayer. This is the risen Lord Jesus giving his farewell discourse. I think every word mattered in what he said. It's a statement of what he believes is most true. And in thinking about gospel-formed community, it's not first and foremost about relationships. It's about a foundation of belief in God's word. Simply put, gospel-formed community requires an intentional foundation of belief in the word of God. And Will did an excellent job of unpacking what that looks like in community life. But I do want to say we need to intentionally pursue God's word as the foundation in our communities. And it can look a variety of different ways like he unpacked. Um, But we have to be intentionally pursuing the foundation of God's word to have a gospel-formed community. But it isn't the word of God alone. I'm just going to repeat Will's talk again. It's beyond that. Jesus prays, actually, that they may be in us. And I think this is, in many ways, taking personal uh, vulnerability as a concept. And let's attach the word abiding. That's what Jesus is referencing back in John 15 here, I think. That not just the word of God is our foundation, it's abiding in Christ. Those who love God's word actually pursue abiding in Jesus. You won't have a gospel-formed community if you don't have a people who abide in Christ in therefore bear much fruit. That's what it means to be in Christ, is that we abide in Him. So the foundation of belief produces an intention to abide. Gospel-formed community is an intentional, believing, and abiding community. Now, I imagine many of you are leaders in this room. And for us, if we long for a gospel-formed community, we must be the people who go first in believing and abiding. If you want to have a gospel-formed community, first and foremost, it begins with you. So I'd ask you a, maybe a provocative question. How are you doing in abiding in Christ? How are you doing in your own personal time in God's word? How are you doing in your communion, your loving relationship with the Father in the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit? How are you doing? I want to exhort us that it takes intentionality for leaders and it takes intentionality for communities in believing and abiding. So the starting point for a gospel-formed community is a leader who intentionally believes and abides. I think that produces in us kind of a a reflection on the second requirement for a gospel-formed community. The first requirement is intentionality. I think the second one is actually it requires sacrifice. 
what, you, uh, what the Spirit produces in us when we're b- abiding is a willingness to obey. And a gospel-formed community does require sacrifice. When I reflect on John 17, I think about the unity and the Father of the Son. That's the framing of what he's praying right there. But the unity that the Father and the Son had was on display as Jesus radically sacrificed and came to this world in the incarnation. He came as a baby. He sacrificed full unity with the Father in the heavenlies and came to this earth. He put on flesh and he came to be among us and that was sacrifice. In this text, you see that the unity they have was tested in the sacrifice of heaven. It was also tested in the sacrifice of Jesus's very life. I hear the echoes of sacrifice when I sit and I prayerfully consider John 17. I think we often want the unity of the church or gospel-formed community without the sacrifice of actually going first, without the willingness to be obedient as we abide, to be a people who give things up. I think gospel-formed community requires sacrifice. And if you're unwilling to die to yourself, if the people in your community are unwilling to die to themselves and take up their cross just as Jesus did, we won't have gospel-formed communities. I had a wise friend once say that the model of Jesus' discipleship was come and be with me. And then it was come and follow me. And then it was come and die. And I think a lot of times in trying to form gospel communities, we kind of put these things in different orders, right? Uh, In my youth, I was probably more of a come and die kind of guy. I like the idea of radical sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And so my initial invitation is, you want to really live for Jesus? Come and die like we do at the Austin Stone. It was this provocative statement to bring people to an awareness of the necessity of sacrifice for the sake of mission. But I think that got a little bit out of order. And I would wonder for you, as a leader trying to pursue gospel-formed community, if you've really sacrificed and said, just come and be with me. Do the people that you're trying to lead in this intentional kind of community, actually are they invited into your life? Are they invited into your homes at moments other than whenever you gather as a community? And then are you willing, in a sense, after you've invited them into relationship, to say, come and follow me? Is your life an example of faith and doctrine? Is your life living out with integrity, the sacrifice you might want to call people to? And then are you willing to say, as you follow me, come and follow Christ, and let's die to ourselves and pick up our cross daily and sacrifice for the sake of God's glory to have this kind of gospel-formed community. I think somebody needs to go first in sacrificing, and I think somebody needs to sacrifice in pursuit. If I were to say one of my greatest mistakes, one of my greatest errors in trying to pursue gospel-formed community, it was asking people to come to me rather than going to them. I'll preach it all day long. Going to people is the way that we ought to live, but in my own personal life, there was always this sense in which, oh, I have to go have this conversation. Oh, I've got to go do this again. Are you kidding me? Like, I have given so much for the sake of these people, and I think gospel-formed community requires a leader who actually pursues. The one and others of Scripture are really hard Leading missional community or a gospel-formed community over the course of time is really hard, but I think the stewardship of the leader is to be the one who pursues and persists. So, 
leading, shaping, forming a gospel-formed community does require sacrifice. And there's one more thing I want to say on this topic. I think, practically speaking, in a community, you cannot say yes to everything. One of the greatest difficulties I've seen in coaching other communities is the desire for a leader or the members of the group to say, we're going to do it all. You simply cannot. You can't do everybody's passion project. You can't do everything your church is calling you to. You can't do everything. Very practically, gospel-formed community uh, requires a sacrifice of saying no to some things. So you can say yes to the primary calling of God on your life. Now, for some of you, that might mean you need to move. You might need to actually move from the neighborhood you're in to a different place. It might require that kind of sacrifice. For some of you, it might be requiring the sacrifice of your kids and their sports teams. Now, my son Owen has been playing soccer. Soccer is the ethos of the Wells Branch neighborhood. We have our own soccer association. It's super awesome. But this fall, Owen said, I want to play t-ball. Right? And the reason he wanted to play t-ball was because his little buddies, Rain and Henry and several others, are playing t-ball. And so for us, the sacrifice was to say, not just for your desire, Owen, but for the sake of lining up our lives with Tyler and Lauren and Heather and Greg, we're going to intentionally say yes to t-ball, even though I think it's the dumbest game on earth. <laughs> Has anybody in here watched a t-ball game? It's unbelievable. Like, they don't even run the bases right. They're just chucking a bat and they're running the wrong way. It's insane. I'm like, why am I doing this when I could watch the awesomeness that is the beauty of soccer play out in the lives of, you know, herd ball? Like, uh, anyway, you get it. Sometimes it's going to require a sacrifice of your preferences. It might require the sacrifice of you moving. But one thing that I have tried in forming communities around the gospel is practicing the sacrifice of fasting. The thing that I have been utilizing more and more in my leadership is actually calling my community to a regular and routine rhythm of saying no to some things. That's food. Uh, We want to fast over a 24-hour period and regularly and routinely do that in the life of our community so that we're ready to say no to other things so that we can say yes to Jesus. So very simply, I think gospel-formed community does require sacrifice. And then finally, I think it's a reminder That gospel-formed community, it requires imperfection. Gospel-formed community is not perfect. I think one of the things that I did often in my youth was casting vision for this is exactly how community should look. You should be gathering in small groups of two and three, single-gendered. You should be hearing and obeying from God's word, repenting and believing of your sin and believing the gospel. You should be considering and praying how you can be good news people for your neighborhood. You should be gathering in these family meals that we routinely gathering and to express your identity as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you should be intentionally gathering in what we call third places. That became the rubric in the vision for what it should look like. And a lot of people, as I led them towards this kind of community, um, helped me understand that those are really helpful structures, but at the end of the day, we're imperfect people. At the end of the day, it's going to be a struggle and a fight in everyday life to figure out how are we going to do this. And I think about John 17, Jesus prays for us in the passage, and he prays that we may all be one, and he gives us his glory. I'm like thinking about all of the richness of these promises, and he had to pray this. Jesus had to pray this for us because there is still a very real enemy. 
There's still a very real enemy whose name is Satan. There's still a very real fallen world that we live in that is broken and in desperate need of reclaiming. There's a very real sense in all of us struggle with the reality of sin, the temptation and the lust of the flesh. And we can cast vision all day long for community, but Jesus prayed these things for us because he knew that we would be fighting a battle every single day. And I still love the vision that we have for community. I love the structures that we facilitate community life with. But the thing that's most important is recognizing all of those are means to help us fight the battles that we fight every day. Sin, Satan, and this world. Those are the things that we're actually fighting as we move forward. And I've observed in many communities that are trying to pursue being formed by the gospel. They have an ideal of the right way and are unwilling to wrestle with the imperfection and the messiness of everyday life. These things like structures and systems can really help, and I do think they're helpful. You should have an idea of what you're trying to accomplish, but especially as a leader, surrender the idea that your group is going to be perfect, because you have real warfare going on. I have often struggled with the perfection and the imperfection of my community. We got any Enneagram uh, fans in the room right now? Okay, you guys are like, no, I can't say it right now, so I know it's a big deal. I'm an Enneagram one, okay? I struggle with imperfection. I want everything to be exactly right, and I have struggled, and I have wrestled, because I want community to be perfect, and God's grace for me through this passage is to remind me that imperfection is always going to be with us in our community. Now, Last thing that I want to talk about is recognizing community is imperfect. A gospel-formed community, it's going to take different life forms over the course of time. If I'm honest with you, I have personally struggled with loneliness, even in the midst of a healthy, vibrant, multiplying now series of missional communities in and out of my neighborhood. I've struggled with loneliness, and in fact, I've struggled with loneliness this fall. Some of our very dearest friends whom I discipled in the faith, who lived intentionally in our neighborhood, who were a part of leadership and all of the things that we were doing, felt called of God to move to Washington, D.C. And it's been a season of sadness. Just last night I was texting John, I miss you, man. I want to go take you out for a frosty beverage. Um, I miss him. I really do. I did't know if I'm safe. I'm in an Acts 29 room. I can say that. It was a beer. Sorry, I forgot about that. I've been in Baptist world too long, y'all. Uh, Sorry, but I, like, I'm, I'm serious. I legitimately miss my friend. I hate that Emmy is missing Shiloh right now. I hate it. I hate it. And it's bringing a sense of loneliness, even in the midst of having so many other friends who are deliberately living on mission. I'm actually struggling with sadness because some of our dearest friends literally next week leave for the field. They leave to go serve Jesus faithfully overseas, and I'm sad. I'm going to be a puddle of tears on Sunday when we're at their commissioning service because I'm sad and I'm feeling lonely. Community is imperfect because community changes, and it's hard especially in our transient culture. So I want to urge you, as you're thinking about a vision for community as leaders in this room, that you also recognize there are practical things working against you. There are practical things like our culture that's just really, really hard. Change is part and parcel of life in the city of Austin, and it's probably part and parcel of many of the cities that we live in. But that change is a reminder of the desperate need that we have for grace. 
And that's because gospel-formed community is not perfect. It requires imperfection. Thanks for listening to the Acts 29 U.S. South Central podcast. For more information, visit acts29.com. For information specific to our work in this region of the country, uh, visit our particular website, which is acts29ussouthcentral.org. While you're there, you can sign up for our email newsletter. You can hear about our church planter assessment process, and you can find out about upcoming events and conferences. Again, that website is acts29ussouthcentral.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.